0: You don't like the Drake? I hate the Drake.
1: I love the Drake. How
0: could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake?
1: Who's the Drake? The Drake
0: is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake.
1: What about the Drake? Oh, screw the Drake. I love the Drake.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. This podcast will take a chronological look at the third Robin, Tim Drake. We will be looking at the classic 90s 2000 Robin series and other notable comics with Tim in that era, while also simultaneously taking a look at Tim in the modern era as Red Robin in the pages of DC Comics, plus other Robin and Batman happenings in the world. So sit back, relax and find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for
2: them! Love the Drake! Got to love the Drake! I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible.
0: Hello everyone, welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers. This podcast is brought to you by the thebatmanuniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. You can get hold of the show in many different ways through across the social media platforms, through Instagram, Facebook... Uh, Twitter. We're on Twitter at ELTD podcast. We are on Instagram, which that's one of my 2018 New Year's resolutions is to be better on Instagram, but I'm going to treat the Instagram a little bit more special, a little more covert as it will. Um that's going to be kind of like the <laughs> this is a dumb way of saying it like the super secret part of the inside scoop on uh everyone loves the Drake that's where I'll make the announcements first. Um just to try and get a little bit more, you know, activity uh over there on the Instagram but also for me to be able uh to be <laughs> using Instagram more. So I'm be kind of putting up some things of like here's stuff that we're going to be recording in the future or uh some maybe more of my uh tim Drake robin merchandise that you know i may not clog up a twitter feed for but uh since you instagram is more for pictures that's where i'm going to do more of my tim drake robin stuff and obviously for the podcast so check out over there on instagram you can email into the show. We've got some uh, lovely emails recently, so we'd like to get some more. we will uh, That's another news resolution. I'm going to start reading comments on every show uh, from Instagram or Twitter, uh, Facebook. Uh, so you can email at the podcast at podcast at yahoo.com, and we will read uh, emails there. But like I said, welcome to episode 65. This should have come out December 27th of 2017. Uh, It was right at Christmas time and everything was all prepped and ready to go. There were a few things I had to edit yet. And uh, the day after Christmas, my my wife and I both got sick and we were sick for about a week or so. I missed a couple days of work and then getting into the new year, my wife was still sick. So we were just kind of on the mend back and forth, helping each other get back, uh, into the healthy space that we were trying to get into in 2018 so the podcast did suffer so you're going to hear us a few times in this episode Talk about uh, what the new year is going to be like, and I can tell you very much what the new year is going to be like. It was me being sick on the couch, so uh, thanks for bearing with us. This is not the proper, hey, happy new year podcast, uh, getting ready to start the next chapter that should have been probably Troika, but like you will hear in this podcast, I did make mention that we were going to take a little hiatus. In the month of January uh, Getting some things ready We've got Troika getting ready to start We're doing something with A Lonely Place of Living That is coming It's not on the back burner But that project has a lot of wheels spinning in it We want it to be something very special So it is coming But it could be just a little bit later Till it's fully finished And there'll be more on that later So at the time you're hearing this I can tell you this now If you haven't heard I am guessing on Holy Batcast today talking about A Lonely Place of Living. Now, I do believe that the guys over there have another episode before my episode airs on Holy Batcast, so I'm not entirely sure when that is going to be released because I have not recorded it yet as of this recording. The very next thing I do will be Holy Batcast. So by the time you're listening to this, that episode should be getting ready to be released and you'll be able to hear the dates and information. So I just wanted to get that out to you. So I'm going to kick it back over to us back in December of 2017, just before Christmas. So that gives you the headspace of what's going on. So as you're listening to this going, why are they still talking like it's December? Because for us, it still is December. But if you found this podcast and late 2018 or in 2020 and this won't make any sense to you so right now i'm just rambling so rob why don't you shut up and let's go back in time just a few weeks ago to terrence ryan and myself talking about robin 13 and the conclusion of prodigal and does this hold up as still a favorite book of terrence and i's and ryan's you have to find out in three two robin With me again is Terrence and Ryan. Terrence, how are things going today?
2: Uh, things are going great, um, and this is, for those listening to the last podcast, we we're recording this the same day, so it's not that my cold has been lasting for two weeks, it's just we're we're uh, churning some out before uh, the new tax year starts, so for tax purposes, we're trying <laughs> right. to get them in in December before
0: 2018. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to have my wife file this, because that's what she does for, that's, that's her job, so hey, you get the yeah. podcast ready, um, and it's also... Uh, this is technically going to be released on the 27th. So it's kind of hard to say, so mm. guys, what'd you get for Christmas? Cause we, we don't know that yet, but we'll, we'll pretend. <laughs> I, I actually yeah. do know a little
2: bit because my wife's not very good at like concealing stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> constantly I'm like walking in and be like, what is it? Who's this? Like, uh, who's this star Wars Pez for? She's like, you're not supposed to see that, you know? And so <laughs> so I do know I'm getting a millennium Falcon shaped container with star Wars Pez and, uh, uh, the porg. I don't even know what the porg is yet because I haven't seen the movie, but <laughs> some kind of pork pez, and um,
0: I'm sure there's something with Batman and Star Wars on it. Yeah. Just don't eat it; you'll feel bad. So. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Ryan gets that joke. Um, <laughs> Ryan, how are you doing today?
1: Yeah, I'm good. You know, and and talking about Christmas stuff, you know, I can I I'm looking into the future. Hopefully, when this by the time this is released, I will have had. One of my Christmas presents to myself <laughs> is, uh, I don't know if you guys have checked in my Twitter lately, but I've, uh, you know, obviously I'm a gamer and I like retro gaming too, so, um, I recently acquired an Atari Lynx, Ooh. which oh, is like, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like the thing that I saw in like comic books as a kid but could never get because it was like super expensive, um, and, you know, it, it was just kind of like this esoteric like game system that I didn't really know much about, and you know, then and that, and that was before I was even in in a gamer at all. I just kind of vaguely remember it from reading you know comic book ads or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and eventually, I got a Game Boy, and that's Nintendo, and there's great games on that, and the rest is history there. But but I recently came across the opportunity to get an Atari Lynx too. There are two models, and uh, it's been fun playing that thing. You know, just to kind of go back and research it and see what all the games were and figure out what the good ones were and stuff like that. So, um, but I got that already, and you guys might know that there is a there's a Batman game on it. Yeah, and that's 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 the main reason why I always wanted one so I could play uh, the Atari Lynx version of Batman Returns. Uh, you know, on the system it was meant to be played on. You know. And it's, it's not a port of any other version of Batman Returns. It's just, um, it's its own special, unique to the links version of it. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's its own thing and it's cool. I mean, the music's cool. It plays well. It's, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, if you, if you try to like not, if you, if you're trying not to cheat your way through it, it's hard if you're trying to like use it and stuff like that. But, um, it's a fun game. It's cool. It's, it's kind of a, it's kind of, if you're a gamer, it's kind of a cool thing to go back and try to do. Um, so the thing that I hope I get is I've got my links out right now. Somebody's made like this mod that you can get where they replace the, the old uh, screen with a brand new like LCD screen. Mm. And and the colors and the contrast is like a thousand times better. Like it looks way better because it's basically a old – the old screens on those consoles, like if you look at the links or the Game Gear You know, you had, like, a perfect angle to look at it. Right. And if you would look off-angle at all, it would, like, either get really dark or really bright and things like that. And it just kind of got – and the colors got washed out. But but these new mods that they can do are just crazy, and they just look like, you know, like a cell phone almost. It's just so much – Nicer, and, you know, clearer, and the colors are great, and and it preserves the old hardware, so all the old games like still work on it, just like it would. Just it just oh, so so cool. happens to, to be that the screen is like cooler, so it's like buying a brand new upgrade to the system that's like twenty over twenty years old. So I'm really excited about uh, getting that. And hopefully, I'll have it here in the next couple of weeks. Nice, and I can so replay. Cool. Yeah, and I can replay Batman Returns like the best you could ever play. Ever play it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, can I say that was so cool? Because that's that's right up my alley.
2: Because I love that era of video gaming. Cause yeah. I, I find it so interesting because I, I was a huge Atari guy. Like I had the twenty six hundred, the seventy eight hundred. I had an Atari ST uh, mm-hmm. computer, and it, it, it's so interesting that era of the video game systems that came out, like the Jaguar and the Lynx, and then there was three D O and Sega Saturn, and all this. And wow. it, it, it's so interesting to see like which games and which systems, like hit with the people and was a big hit and yeah. which did not. And it's not always which one was the best because sometimes there were better systems, but either they were just priced way too high or they just didn't click their marketing and their their, their games just didn't click with the, the people. And it's amazing how Nintendo always seemed to know just how to hit it with like yeah. the right price point and the right amount. And they never yeah. had the, they never had the best system out there, but they had a really good system for a really good price with really good games and um and then playstation came along it went at a time when people thought like it was all over and it's really really cool but can i ask a question since ryan is mr video game and this this is something that's haunted me for for years and years and like decades and i'll tell you why when you were a kid or even now when you got a video game did you read the instruction manual that came with it or did you just play it because I'll tell you why I was always an instruction manual guy. Like in fact, when I got my first Atari 2600, I was a little kid. We opened presents, then we had to go back to bed, and I snuck down to the tree and read the entire instruction manual for the Atari 2600 and the games I got by like a Christmas tree light bulb. I sat there reading them all, and then the next morning I learned on Pac Man you could change the difficulty level. So when my cousins came <laughs> over and wanted to play it, and I was like, I don't want to, I don't want them to play. I would change the difficulty level to like impossibly hard on them and their their turn would only be like a few seconds and then i changed it back to real easy for me and they had no clue they're like you're really good at this how are you good but <laughs> um but then i was in school i mean like they or fourth grade and i told someone i'm like oh yeah you know in the instruction manual and they're like you read the instruction manual and they all started like making fun of me for reading the instruction manuals and i was like i thought that's what you were supposed to do so i was just curious as to ryan were you an instruction manual guy or you were just a figure it out later
1: kind of guy I I hopefully will will you like my answer because yes I am absolutely an instruction manual physical okay. media give me all the paper kind of person because you know the, my first system was a Game Boy and you know the Game Boy games came in the you know, paper boxes, you know, a lot of people throw through those out, you know, new, newer games just come in, you know, like DVD cases that are plastic, but I would always save my Game Boy boxes. I would always read the manual first, no matter what game it was. I would always, like, cherish the manual, take out the manual and read it. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, a lot of the older games, you know, don't hold your hand as much, and if you want to find out information about the game, you kind of need to read the manual. So whether it was Super Mario Land or bat original batman 89 game that's on uh, the game boy which is i s- still enjoy that game or return of the joker i would always take out the manual and read it because usually in the case of the batman games there was like either backstory you know a thinly veiled backstory or the controls or just you can usually pick up on things that you might not you know notice in the game and one thing i remember is the little little instruction books always had like Sections in the back for like notes and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And I remember, and I and I vividly remember the instruction manual for Batman: Return of the Joker. It like lists the four levels or something like that, and the bosses associated with it. So it's like underground sewers and the you know, or or it's like the train level, and then the um and the boss is like highball, like some like guy (laughs) with a baseball bat or something. But then (laughs) but then like the final level, it was like uh you know, final level limestone caverns boss, question mark, question mark, question mark. And, and of course it's the Joker because it's, you know, the final boss, but the, the manual makes it out to be like, Oh, I don't know who the final boss is going to be. And I vi- vividly remember like after beating it, like f- going back to the manual and like filling it in, like I crossed out the question marks and put like the Joker, I know what it is now. <laughs> <laughs> so like, that's so I won't forget. So I've still got all that stuff. And, uh, and, like you know, in fact, we just were talking about video game mods. I also got last year I got um my original uh fat game boy I got a mod of that that uh puts a backlight on it, and it also has a biversion mod, so all the contrast is much uh much better you know the the darks are very dark and the the brights are very bright so it It's it's the Game Boy you know a kid would have wanted would have killed for back in the day you know you can play it in the dark it looks great in the light and the games just look so good you know on that original hardware and it's got like a brand new glass like screen cover and stuff on it so again it feels like just a giant Game Boy upgrade and it's been fun to go back and play all those original Batman games in particular on the on that new modded system too.
2: Awesome! Thank you for that answer. That, that yeah, that vindicates me <laughs> after
1: 35 years. Whoever yeah. those kids were, those wherever manuals. you are, the manual. And then uh and now I we don't said, get those. We just get like paper slips that have like you know safety information on it. It's yeah terrible. warranty. Yeah, yeah. You used yeah. to get
2: a whole description. Like it was really vivid. The different like the level of detail and storytelling, and and you would get. But. Um, I, I, I just said my first system was the 2600, and I put on my wish list uh, there this big coffee table book, The Art of the 2600, because the artwork on those Atari game boxes were amazing and yeah. just incredible paintings. Yeah, and um, So I was just curious, both of you guys, what was your first gaming system that you
0: ever got? Uh, mine, I believe, was the Atari 2600. Uh, by when other video game consoles were coming out before, like there was, I don't know if the Commodore was before that, but there were some more PC based games and other versions of Atari. My dad was like, no, I, I don't think we need anything like that. But I think once some of my friends started doing it and then my friends were also like the parents were my, my parents were also friends. So once they had got a game system for their kids, we had like a, a card a card club night where all the kids would get together. The adults ended up coming into the room and my dad played like Pac Man, you know, constantly that night. And I remember going, Oh, I'm so glad he's doing this. We might get one for Christmas. <laughs> and yeah. and we did. And we got that's, that's, I think Pac-Man came with it. Uh, maybe I'm remembering this yeah, it out did. of order. Yeah. Like Pac Man Combat. Yeah. I forget what the other one was. But a year later, still one of my favorite games was Yara's Revenge. Um oh, yeah. I played that thing. And that was probably one of the the first games where I continued to keep getting farther and farther through a levels like I've never been here. I'm at the I'm at the pink phase, and then it went to gray, and then the colors would kind of go uh, back through. Like this game, like I'm gonna keep playing till yeah you know, I get to the very end. Of course, the, those games just never end. They just kind of keep getting harder and harder. But those were some that was our my family's first uh, one. I think Breakout probably came with that as well. So yeah, that was our first the Atari 2600.
1: Yeah. How about you, Ryan? Yeah, like I said, it was definitely the the original Game Boy. Oh, it was Game just Boy. like, cool. um, yeah, but you know, I didn't get the, the 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 big fat one, original one first. I got my mm-hmm. first one was the Game Boy Pocket. It was the first revision, the main major revision of the Game Boy. You know, because I and it came out that year. I remember asking my, my my parents for one for a Game Boy, and I didn't even know about the Game Boy Pocket. And then I got the Game Boy Pocket for Christmas. and I was like, oh, it's not the it's not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. But then once no, I started playing, and I'm like, oh, this is actually better. It's smaller. It takes like. You know, cheaper, ba- you know, smaller batteries that last longer. The screen's a little bit bigger. It's it's really good. So, um, so I got the Game Boy Pocket with the original like mirrored silver like border, and I got uh, Super Mario Land and and Batman '89 for the Game Boy, and you know, the rest is history. It's just I love that. I love Game Boy so much. It's still one of the best gaming systems ever. Just because just because I love seeing how much game they can squeeze out of that kind of You know, old tech. And it was even Mm -hmm, old tech when it came out. You know, like I said, the Atari Lynx came out like just a few months after the Game Boy, and it was in color and had stereo sound or or whatever. And it just, the processor was a lot better. It was doing stuff that game consoles, like home consoles, couldn't even do at the time. But the Game Boy, like Terrence said, it just, you know, it was, you know, lesser tech, but the games were just so good. And it had that, you know, it was more portable and it was cheaper and. All that. And uh, yeah, so Game Boy for
2: sure. Tetris on that. I, I can't even count the, yeah. the not even hours, the weeks and months and days just playing Tetris mm-hmm. and that Russian music would just get faster and
0: faster and faster. Oh, that was so much fun. Yeah. Uh, as this is the video game podcast, I want to stretch the topic <laughs> <Yeah>. just once, <laughs> one second farther just from hearing Let's Go Comic Show, plug for Justin Kowalski's and Matt Ritchie's uh, podcast. Uh, they were have been talking about video games and stuff. And I I think, Ryan, you probably fall into my category. I don't know if Terrence does. I never sell any of my systems or any of my games if when the PlayStation 2 came out, I had bought the PlayStation 2, still have my original PlayStation. I have mm-hmm. the PlayStation 1, 2, 3, 4. My friend's like, why don't you sell and try it up? I was like, because... I like all these games. Like the, the old games, yeah. I mean, Yeah. And I'm so like, I, I if I can have a... get all those – sorry. If I can get all those games on the PS4 or whatever system it is, fine, great. But I've got a room yeah. upstairs where I'll just – I've got them in like little cases. I'll open up. I go, hmm, I feel like playing the original Tomb Raider on the original PlayStation or the original <laughs> Sega Saturn. Uh, when it came out. I think that's where that debuted where you could first get. It. I still have that system. So I take it you keep all of your systems for the most part. Well I, I've learned that you should. You know, I
1: you know, I've been burned by it too many times in the past that I I wish I would have kept some of my old systems because, you know, my original GameCube, I had like again, I had it modded. It could play Japanese games. Um, and I had it to where I got uh, Zelda Wind Waker like three months early. Oh wow! Because I imported it from Japan, but of course it was in Japanese. But it didn't matter. I played the whole game in, in Japanese, and it was <laughs> it was amazing. It didn't for that game. It didn't even matter. It was so good. But then, uh, but then I believe it was like um. Well, with the Wii, it's backwards compatible. It'll just play your GameCube games. But then, like, of course, there's like that one game that doesn't work right, or right. The, ended up uh, the Wii that I got had some like launch issue problems. It had like weird pixelated graphics and stuff. And, and then these, you know, I had some issues and things like that. So, and then I've had a a few other little instances like that where, um, you know, I sold my PS two to get my PS three, but, uh, because it was backwards compatible, but then eventually like the newer PS threes aren't backwards compatible with PS two games or PS one games. And, it's just kind of a mess, so it's kind- of, and i've had that with handhelds too like i've gotten rid of my game boy advance s p because oh the the uh the new the new thing will um just uh like the new like d s like the d s will work with game boy advance games but um but then it doesn't work with the original Game Boy games or Game Boy Color games. And I'm like, oh no, I just got rid of something I actually needed. <laughs> so I've learned just to kind of not do that. Now, I'll sell games, but, I'll, but selling consoles is kind of something that I've kind of stopped doing, you know, from, uh, from some of the experiences I've had.
0: Yeah. Uh, Terrence?
1: Yeah,
2: no, unfortunately, I don't really have too much because uh, for a while, my brother and I, this is like 20 years ago before we were married and we were still living at home. Um, we were collecting the old games and there was a, a website, um, some guys, and I, I believe they, um, it was Mick Sorley. For some reason, that name pops in my head, but they had a huge collection of old Atari 2600 and 7800 games. And I had both systems, um, because, um, I guess Atari dumped them all and they threw them in like a, uh, I guess a a landfill somewhere. And these guys went and dug them up and then were selling them for like a dollar each on the internet. So I had like, uh, like a hundred games all in open and everything. And my brother was on a, a mission to get every single game for the Sega Master System. And I think he may have completed it as well. And we had, I had the, the, a lot of Genesis stuff, and I had that like all the things that would plug into the Genesis, because Sega did this thing where it's like oh yeah, you can make a yeah, Franken Genesis, they, they, with the the they, 32X, and, it, yeah, yeah, CD and
1: a 32x. I
2: had all that stuff. It never worked. You had to put all these things in it to try to make it work. It never worked. But um, apparently, my my brother took it all, and then somebody offered him like a really good price for all of it, and like one lot thing. And I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, go ahead. So we, he he kind of sold it all in just a one lot. Lump some kind of thing and split it with me. So for a while I was collecting, but now it's kind of it's kind of gone. And then with the kids, we were trading in a lot. So mm-hmm. I didn't keep the games too long, but would bring them up to uh, the uh, GameStop there, and because they, they'd always want something new, or they were into the 3D. Uh, the 3DO, not the 3DO, the uh, Nintendo DS's, mm-hmm. and then they had the 3DS's, the the ones in 3D. So they always wanted to trade games and stuff. So I'd throw in some of my games so they could get the next one. So I've kind of kept everything for PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4, but anything past there. Um, I kind of regret trading in my PlayStation 2 because I don't know. I just, something about that machine, it, I really loved, although the joysticks were still connected to buy mm-hmm. wires so it was a little difficult to play but um but yeah unfortunately it's all gone yeah
0: uh, i i decided to keep my stuff after a while just due to my friends like i was the guy with the video games so they always came to me i'm like well if i you know get rid of them the, my buddies won't have anything to play with so i just became that guy so I thought you were going to say that I have no friends. Yeah, I, I, I have no friends. So. <laughs> it's like,
2: honey, I can't get rid of this. Rob, Jim and Bob will never come over again.
0: <laughs> you married a girl. Let it go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll uh, conclude this uh, video game podcast, and we will start up the Robin Everyone Loves the Drake podcast right after these messages. Justice League International Blah Ha Ha Podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter. Batman. Doctor Fate, Black Canary, Fire, Ice, Maxwell Lord, Oberon, Captain Marvel,
1: Rocket Red, Captain Adam,
0: Mister Miracle, Guy Gardner, Booster Gold, Blue Beetle, Nort, and many, many more. Justice League International, BlahhaHa ha Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make okay, something of it? Okay, let's take a look at the information. That is brought to us by Mike's Amazing World. It's a really cool resource to be able to find out all the information on these comics that we read uh, to you guys and discuss on the show. Mike'sAmazingWorld.com. Go check them out. The cover date is January 1995. The on-sale date is December 6, 1994. Cover price is $1.50. Page count is 32. The editor is Dennis J. O'Neill. The title, Wings Over Gotham. Uh, Writer is Chuck Dixon. Penciler is John Cleary. And Phil Jimenez sharing uh, double duties on this. Uh, Cleary is doing the Robin stuff, and Phil Jimenez is doing the Dick Grayson Bruce Wayne stuff. Uh, the there's Raymond Cursing, uh, the. The letter is Albert Tobias D. Goonsman. The colorist is Adrian Roy. This has been reprinted in Batman Prodigal Trade Paperback that came out in 1998 and Batman Trade Paperback Volume 3 in 2012. And I believe also this is going to be reprinted in the Batman Nightfall Omnibus Volume 3 that should be coming out the latter part of 2018. So let's get in to Robin 13 and the synopsis for Wings Over Gotham. And this is going to be a short
2: one.
0: As stated, Robin 13 Wings Over Gotham is the conclusion of the Prodigal storyline. And uh, like I said, this is going to go rather quickly. So strap in just like Tim Drake did. Uh, This picks up right from Detective Comics 681. On our previous episode talking about Prodigal, Robin and Steel Jacket have come face to face. Robin attaches a grapple line onto Steel Jacket's legs, and Steel Jacket proceeds to jump out the window and fly across the Gotham City skylines. And you can almost hear Kenny Loggins meet me halfway across the sky in the background during the synopsis. Is it there? Uh, Steel Jacket proceeds to smash Robin into every single structure that he could possibly find to detach the boy wonder while the GCPD races across the streets of Gotham City to keep up with Robin and Steel Jacket before crashing into a building. And then the GCPD race up the stairs, shoot Steel Jacket in a hail of bullets, and Steel Jacket falls to his death. Or so they possibly think. Nothing human could stand that fall. Meanwhile, across the city in the Batcave, Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson are coming face-to-face with the decisions and things that are left unsaid between the two of them for so many years, why Jean-Paul was chosen to be Batman and why Dick Grayson wasn't chosen and all the awkward silences that the two of them have left over the years. And you can almost hear Elton John playing in the background.
1: Things we never said Come together, the hidden truth no longer haunting me. Tonight we touched on things that were never spoken. That kind of understanding sets me free. Cause I'm. I only thought I'd win, I never dreamed I'd feel this fire beneath my skin. I can't believe you love me. I never thought you'd come. I guess I misjudged love between a father
0: and And they're both realizing that all the things that fathers and sons leave unsaid to one another has caused a rift between the two of them. Once Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson have patched up their differences, Bruce stands proudly in the Batcave back in his Batman costume. But it looks like it might be a little different. All right, we are back here. Robin 13, the conclusion, and uh, just the way a lot of the uh, publications were at the time, if there was a crossover, the Robin book usually, because it was the last book of the month, concluded Ah. like Nightfall and uh, Prodigal and and all those. So that kind of – sometimes it felt really cool being a Robin fan, like, all right, this this Batman story is ending in Robin, but I got to thinking about it. Shouldn't they have – Kind of like shifted it so the Batman story kind of ended in a Batman book. But uh, Prodigal uh, concludes here uh, with Conflict written on the uh, front of the issue here. And uh, you just heard uh, the synopsis uh, that I have recorded separately so we can kind of move this through. Um, written by uh, Chuck Dixon, Cleary, and Jimenez are on the art here. And it had been a while since I had read it, getting ready for the podcast. And I was like... I didn't know, of like, oh, it was half the issue, you know, uh, Cleary, then Jimenez came in, but it was really kind of cool, and we'll see how Terrence feels about this. It was interesting, it's probably the better thing to say, that all the Tim Drake stuff was done uh, by Cleary, and Phil Jimenez had done everything with Dick and Bruce. So uh, the cover art here... Tom Grummett doing the cover art here with uh, Steel Jacket and Robin and Dick Grayson, Batman, and Bruce Wayne in the Batcave with Conflict. The major conflict of <laughs> Prodigal comes to a head. Uh, what do you guys think of the cover for 13 Terrence?
2: Uh, very depressing because <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, Grumet, um, his name doesn't appear in this book at all. Like He's not on the cover, and then he's not on – in the inside, sometimes it will say like "cover by." Right. It doesn't even have that. But is his, it in his,
1: the, uh, the the letter columns? At is the it end? in the sometimes back? Sometimes up. Sometimes okay.
2: they'll do that. Maybe I, I gotta check there. Um, but the the thing is, his his face is so his faces are so distinct that you can just see it's Grummet just by looking at it. Like you don't have to put his name on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, I do find it depressing that it is a Tom Grummett cover, but his art is not in it. And it just kind of hammers home the fact that he's gone. And he is one of the guys who was there from the beginning. Cause if you look at lonely place of dying, he was on the art team. I think he like did some fill in pencils and inks. So he wasn't the main artist on it, but he, he was there from the beginning and his art is just so fantastic in Robin and, um, it's going to be missed. And then when you kind of, uh, open up the cover and see what the
1: art does look like. It just depresses me, but 12, uh, his final issue or something.
0: And this is final cover or I, I think he goes to 15 uh, for the covers. Uh, I'm looking this up on my uh, comics page uh, while we're talking here, but I'm almost positive 15 is the last one. Cause I think that's where Robin is on the glider flying uh, out later that we had think, talked about yeah. previously.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he's done with the the book because in one of the it was either the last issue or the issue before that. It made a little thing saying that he was he was leaving. Um, So, yeah, so it's, it's all right. It's probably if I had to rank the covers, it's probably one of my least favorite just as far as and it's just a lot of faces it's not really too much going on it does kind of emphasize the dual nature of the book that it's going to be like kind of two stories so it's not bad it's grummet, is awesome uh but it would not be in my like top 10 of you know grummet robin moments
0: uh, correction his last cover is 16 so that was the last uh grummet cover that we will uh, get okay so. uh ryan your thoughts on the cover
1: yeah like after reading the book it's 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 uh it's an accurate representation of what you're about to experience i mean the story is a very split uh narrative between you know two focused you know a stories and b stories so um yeah i as a kid always you know as a kid looking at these covers i always wondered like who's that weird metal creature person on the cover like i don't understand this this looks like a weird 90s thing and you know, truth be told, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> it's just a weird '90s character, um, and I'm sure we'll get into it. You know, just going off the previous issue that leads into this, um, I was just like, "What is this? What is Steel Jacket? I don't I get it." This is just, huh? Okay. But uh, but yeah.
0: Something I wanted to piggyback since you uh, were absent from the last podcast, Azriel. Uh, did make yes. an appearance in this. So I kind of want to get your take real quick uh, before we go to see the state that Jean-Paul was in where Dick was pretty sure that uh, Azrael is the one doing all of this. And yeah. when he goes to see him, that is He's in no condition uh, at all yeah. to be doing anything. So, just kind of your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is from uh, Detective Comics six eighty one, and I, I've read Prodigal before,
1: but I, I completely spaced out that whole sequence and that whole this whole issue of, of uh, oh, it's Dick Grayson thinking it was Jean Paul's back, and that's got to be who this person is, and claws and armor and whatever. And, you know, going to see him, you know, honestly, it was like super depressing (laughs) to be like, it's like the Jean Paul version of the when you got to see the broken Bane in the in the prison afterwards. He's just like, oh, I'm broken and Batman's back. Ah, You know, yeah, it's like the Jean Paul version of that. He's just like complete like shell of his former self and he's like in a super bad place. And um, so, yeah, it was kind of depressing that he was almost used as a kind of a punchline or like he's just in a sad state. But I was trying to think, like, is this before or after the.
0: Showcase issue that features Azrael. I think it's after because I think is it? the showcase picks him up. Like we're seeing his perspective of him walking away from Wayne Manor and what happens. It's been a long yeah. time since I've read that, and I think this after that issue, this is kind of where he had ended up. Yeah, I'll have to ask the guys on the Azrael podcast if that's yeah if that's true. true or not yeah if they can ever start it you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i i I, if i remember correctly at least the way that i've got them in my um file cabinet i i think that's how that that plays out and i can't remember how that showcase oh it is before it's it is before
1: well it's in um it's in the nightfall part volume three trade i have and it's way before prodigal but uh you know sometimes that doesn't really mean anything but right but at least in this trade paperback, it's quite a bit before.
0: Now, uh, Terrence and I kind of touched on this at the end of the last episode with Steel Jacket, that, and maybe this is more of a final thought thing for uh, the story here for Prodigal, but I think Terrence and I were both, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, that I felt like Prodigal, as much as we both love Prodigal, I felt like all these stories were backwards. I really kind of, yeah. you know, having read it, that Two-Face should have been the end and the story is ending with Steel Jacket. I, I understand that you got to find a, a way to have Dick and Bruce kind of resolve things and get Bruce back in the cowl, but um, maybe this would have worked for a one-off. Like th- This could have been the end, but I think rather than going through the thugs and different things after Two-Face, that it, the story I felt was told backwards like all these things should have been leading up Dick to his final fight with Two-Face and it still play out the same way I think things are inverted so this story kind of feels like the Robin part feels uh, sorry Chuck almost feels uninspired a little bit but I have more invested interest in Bruce and Dick and their conversation that's where I think where the the bigger strong point story is here that this is just Tim fighting this steel jacket character that we're probably never going to see again, that it's it still feel, it feels odd in this prodigal story. So I just kind of want to get those quick thoughts from you guys of just how this the, the whole series was kind of played out. Like, again, yeah, this is probably more final thought stuff, but we're just going to kind of roll with it, folks. Uh, let's start with Ryan. Yeah, so I... I just wrapped up all of. Uh, I, I got caught up earlier
1: with uh, all the books that I missed out from last episode, and finished uh, Prodigal earlier today. And and that's kind of the, what I was thinking. I was like, oh, you know, after the two face big two face arc, surely there's like some other bigger arc. And you know, just you know, from years ago, not really remembering exactly how it ended. It was kind of an interesting thing. How it's just kind of a. Almost there. It's like a whole bunch of aftermath issues, really. You know, mm-hmm. you have like your your tallyman comes back, and then you have like the cleaning up, the people that are still left over from the two face storyline, and and then you've got the steel jacket stuff with these last two epi- uh, issues, and it was kind of like a. It feels more like a few comics that just kind of lead into one another than like a the end of a major big storyline. Yeah. Um, and the the points get served. You know, they do kind of set up things like. They set up things like the next storyline, like Troika, and they set up that um, that Dick Grayson is going to be Batman forever, and he's just kind of waiting for it to end, and things like that. And and uh, and I like the the ending conflict part of of this issue between uh, Dick Grayson and, and and Bruce Wayne, but um, but yeah, it kind of feels like it it, it 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 didn't really hit the 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 escalation final point of a big storyline like this that i expected but it's not a a bad thing but it's just not what i expected right Uh, terrence all
2: right so when we started recording i told rob i'll try not to be a debbie downer um but that i don't really like this issue and i find it one of the weakest issues so that's why i wanted ryan to go first because i didn't want to just like (laughs) you know throw and i'll try to i'll try to keep it like not just be like I don't want to do a podcast about something I dislike. I do love the Robin series. I love Chick Dixon's writing. But this to me is a weak moment. So the whole steel jacket thing, I find just – it's it's basically two issues in one, right? Steel jacket, Robin chasing steel jacket, yeah. and then the Bruce-Dick um, confrontation two totally different artists doing the work and so the artwork on the whole robin versus steel jacket thing um i I can't stand it it's um it was happening at this time in comics where the image comic guys uh were starting to leave well they were getting huge at marvel and then they were starting to leave and found image and that was always style over substance it was always a certain look And there were a lot of guys out there copying them. They're copying McFarlane and Lee. And and this looks like just another guy who's trying to copy what the image guys were doing. Um, And in fact, when I looked up John Cleary – in the database he didn't really do much dc but then he did a whole bunch of stuff for image because image (laughs) started to employ all those guys that were copying them to come work for them and put out just book after book after book it 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 just i just don't like it and the one thing i'll give to the founders of image like a mcfarland is they were very stylized but they were the trailblazers like they were they came up with that they were unique these guys were just copying them and this feels just like the copy of them. And the other thing I'll give the image guys like McFarlane and Lee, they're consistent, you know, like maybe too much because it looks the same all the time. But from panel to panel, from book to book, it looks the same. This is really inconsistent. I mean, Harvey Bullock's weight uh, fluctuates from like <laughs> yeah. 200 pounds to 800 pounds, depending upon <laughs> which panel I'm looking at. Montonia's legs are just – sometimes they're just uh, seven feet long in muscle, and sometimes they're short. It's, it's just bizarre, some of the, the anatomy in this. And it feels rushed, so I don't know if it was a rush job, since he only did half the issue and we never saw him again. Maybe it was like, just get it done, because I swear there's some panels where – it looks like harvey is isn't drawn completely um right and so it just it it, it takes me out of it and, and quite honestly there's not really much to the story with it it's just them chasing robin and it feels weird because why does bullock all of a sudden want to save robin like i yeah. bullock was always portrayed as the uh, <laughs> right need, right we don't need remember he's one of us guys yeah right like yeah <laughs> exactly like he, where's this bullock Okay, good. You see it, too, because he's always, yeah, get these damn vigilantes out of the, the – the city. we don't need these guys, and now all of a sudden you save Robin, and it kind of reminds me of all the stuff we lost in the beginning of the series because as we were starting out, we had Shotgun Smith, and we had Robin out in the the, the county and stuff, and I'm realizing, like, we lost all that to Nightfall and Night Quest and Prodigal and, and stuff like that, and then the ending – I don't know if I'm jumping too far. No, go for it. But, I mean, Steel Jacket dies in a hail of bullets, and – I know B- blast him, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> BVS and um, I know the DCU. They've taken up the gun use and Batman killing and whatnot and all that's a story for another discussion for another time. But at this point in comics, in nineteen January ninety six, the cover date, Batman didn't use guns. Batman didn't kill. Killing wasn't something regular, and that like murder of steel jacket there by the police. Uh, it it kind of like there's no emotional effect with Robin. Like there's it do, that doesn't play out. I would have liked maybe one less page of chasing him around the city and one page of just like Tim Drake's thought on what the police just did and, and, and the, the murder. And was that going too far or did they, you know, did they ha- do what they had to do to save the city and save him? But you, none of that, you don't get any, any of that. Um, and the artwork um, and I, I won't go into it too much because I, I know you that's where you're probably going next, Rob. But juxtapose that with the artwork of um, uh, Bruce and Dick is very different styles. And so it's kind of jarring to go back and forth to have such different styles. Um, I think they did the smart thing to have one artist do one part of the story and another part of the artist do another instead of like half the book being one way and half the book, the other like did in Robin war or something that would have been worse. So I think they, they, they minimize the, the distortion of like, well, we just jumped to a different artist because it's in a bat cave. It's, it's something different, but I still, um, and I know, I mean, the, the editors and stuff, they got to do what they got to do. It's not a perfect world. Sometimes you got to get these books out. Uh, you know, it, it is what it is. So I don't want to be too critical. But at, because of it, I can't list it as like one of my favorites or think it's that great. But I mean, I'm not, you know, like <laughs> rioting out in the streets because, you know, the, the ninety five <laughs> book wasn't to my approval, you know, but but um, but uh I'll 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 talk more about it, but I I I don't want to be the Debbie Downer, but I guess I am. Yeah. <laughs> no,
1: we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that once we get to the letter columns part. But like, that's kind of what I I read it. I was like, oh, I bet you that this issue was like rushed or something for artist replacements or whatever. But then since the story was kind of constructed as like a very explicit A and B story, they kind of use it to their advantage, you yeah. know. Like, um, so I think that's probably what happened. But yeah, some of the artwork is just I was reading and I was like, man, this is just some bizarre stuff. Like, yeah. like with uh, with Bullock looking like a weird it's like a weird anime almost, you know, and like Montoya's and in these like strange poses. Like if you just go to page 18, like Montoya's like on the like has to have this crazy pose and all the officers are like Charlie's Angels, like <laughs> lined up <laughs> yeah. on the thing and. And then at the top, like Montoya's eyes, like her eyes are like big bug-eyed anime eyes, like floating out of her head, and it's just
0: very bizarre. I mean, for her what head, to... her head is really huge, her ponytail is really huge, and I know Bullock's in the background, yeah. but his head is so tiny. And like Terrence said, he's probably <laughs> 800 pounds in this one. Yeah. Um, I was looking on page uh, 20, which. This bothers me a a little bit when they do this, and I don't understand why. I'll get to that in a second. But talking about, I guess Robin kind of does address the hail of bullets here. says, I can feel the heat off the lead uh, flying over my head. I can hear Steel Jacket's breathing explode from his lungs with each hit. So uh, Tim can definitely tell, A, they're shooting right over my head, and there's a lot of them. And he can hear Steel Jacket's lungs, like, exploding. I think this, rather than have a steel jacket, you could have put Batwing, or Batwing, excuse me, Man-Bat as the flying creature, and the story would have played out exactly the same. Maybe instead they probably wouldn't have shot a hail of bullets, but the Robin story, we could sum it up. He ties a grapple gun around him and gets drug all over the city, and it's a chase between uh, the GCPD to try and keep up with Robin, and hopefully uh, the kid doesn't die. End end of end of, <laughs> end of the Tim Drake story, you know. Um, but the the panel that drives me absolutely bonkers, and there's a lot of them here. But on t- the uh, on page 20, the split coming down on the last panel for Robin here, where it's coming split down. Normally, that split in the middle of the face, they may have two sets of dialogue. But it's just a split panel for the sake of a split panel. So I'm like, oh, maybe he's looking out the window. Like, no, it's not the window pane. It's literally like, oh, I want another panel here. So we're just splitting that half. I'm probably being nitpicky off more of a split panel rather than inconsistency of doing eyes and mouth in a couple of the other pages where the GCPD is running through the building. Even on page 8 where the where Robin has been drugged through and there's this hole opening, there's no mouth, uh barely an eyebrow on anybody, and it's not like they're really teeny tiny. That's just blatantly like I I know it's a small little uh shot there, but it's just that that feels more rushed uh to me than than anything, rather than some of these, you know, just weird stylistic choices. And like you said, Terrence, the inconsistency just kinda going through uh, from page to page is one thing, but from panel to panel is a completely another uh, thing. Where, like you said, don't want to be Debbie Downer, and as much as we like the Robin series, uh, this is we're kind of getting into that phase where once we lose Grummet, the art has major ups and then unfortunately some major downs uh, throughout the series until they get a an artist that stays on the book, a quality artist that stays on the book for uh, some uh, long runs there. Hey, uh, I, and, you know, you mentioned uh, it being Man Bat.
2: You know, the beginning, the previous stories, it, it was Steel Jacket. Um, uh, Dick Grayson was thinking that that was Asriel come back. And I wonder if using Man Bat would have actually made that even better because he could have thought it was Jean Paul
0: back in the bat suit. Oh, uh, man. Yeah. People saying, oh, yeah. a giant bat. I was it's a giant, a giant bat. bat. Oh, yeah, that would have been yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, uh, See, I should have been working for DC just just for yeah. this one year. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, what's funny someone. is like I'm you know, Steel Jacket shows up more after this. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently. He comes back. So I guess he comes back. Yeah. Well, and the Robin's tagline, um, I think Bullock says no human uh could uh survive that right. fall on the train and then robin says yeah nothing human so i think we have yeah. to believe this isn't human it's some type of creature so yeah um, i don't I-
1: know where you we find his origin but you know the internet tells us that he's a it almost, it's almost like man bat but really it's like he's got bird dna and his physiology is so messed up he's got to wear this like suit of armor to kind of like protect him and stuff like that but like he shows up again like he's in a He's on the cover of the Chuck Dixon Catwoman, thir- number thirty. Mm, oh. So he's in issues twenty-nine and thirty. So like, if you look that up, it's kind of an interesting cover. You know, like they're steel toe, like they're on a train doing stuff with, with, with Catwoman. Like, so he he shows up again. I have this
2: vision of Rob working for DC comics where his answer to everything is just man bat. It's just like man bat, you know, we, need a, we need a big crossover. What you do man bat. There we go. Uh, I just, Rob, we need a new Inker for the man bat. man bat. That's it. I'm done. Man bat. Yeah. Okay.
0: Kurt Langstrom. And then the next answer is going to be uh man bat.
2: Yeah. And then if that doesn't work, we could hit him with a rock. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, okay. uh, great. Now we got to go between uh crocodile, uh, Killer Croc or human version of Killer Croc. Ah, we'll just go with Man Bat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I think the saving grace or the thing that really that I like most about this issue, unfortunately, isn't Tim in this. It's the conversation between uh, Dick and Bruce, the long overdue conversation, and the way that they Chuck Dixon kind of ties the different variations of Dick kind of leaving. Um after they kind of rebooted the universe after year one where they introduced Jason Todd after Dick getting shot in the shoulder by the Joker and then Dick abruptly or Bruce abruptly firing Dick and then bringing on Jason Todd and then going back to older continuity that like, he kind of finds a, a nice way of just saying that their partnership had just ended and Bruce didn't know how to ask Dick to continue after he had left, he'd become his own person, he'd become his own crime fighter. How can how can he consciously ask Dick to come back when he thought he was trying to get away from being and the the conversation that you don't have and the some of the conversations fathers and sons don't have or things are assumed but they're never they're never said and once you finally talk it comes out more of like, well, I didn't know you felt like that. Had I known you felt like that, we would have done X, Y, or Z. So uh, I thought Chuck, the the strongest part in this for me is the uh, relationship that he, and it's kind of the same thing too, with them getting to bring Dick Grayson back to the Batman family and kind of saying, well, we couldn't use Dick because he was tied up into the Titans. So he kind of, put this in one nice little ball for the readers of not getting into the legality of why they couldn't use Dick Grayson, uh, but just played it off more as I didn't think you wanted to. So what did you guys think of the conversation and the things that were kind of said between them and kind of seeing a different side of Bruce? That's more, it's always black and white with him. And there's a lot of gray in this that comes out between Uh, bruce and dick so let's start with ryan on this one i i really liked this part of
1: the issue um you know although it it was kind of a rocky lead up to to the end of prodigal i think this part of it was really kind of worth it to me and just to see these two characters finally like have this discussion uh that is built to this whole time you know prodigal started with like bruce being like well, I gotta go. You gotta be Batman now. And we've we've dealt with all these issues of uh, Dick Grayson kind of dealing with that. And it's kind of and it was it was well written the way that they had to kind of talk through that. And we know like the behind the scenes reasons was they were trying to get Dick Grayson back into the books and stuff like that. But you know a lot of the explanations that they came up with were sound. And the way that it you know ends on like this is this is just how it things kind of would transpire between a father and a son is kind of a good. Uh, poignant you know, ending to to this whole kind of situation that they found themselves in. So I, I really enjoyed that part of the issue.
2: Terrence. All right. Time to go down negative street. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had a feeling you guys might like it. And in fact, um, shoot, I should have pulled it up on Facebook. Rob, you can put an editor's note in here. Okay. One of our listeners on Facebook, when I sh- uh, took a picture of my copy of this um, <laughs> uh issue and showed it because i did the stupid thing of saying well i should read this at work and in the morning just grabbed it threw it in my computer bag not in a bag not in a board and when i got in it looked like an accordion (laughs) and and i put a picture of that on facebook and someone uh, replied oh this has got the greatest dialogue scene between bruce and dick
0: what's wrong has your primitive brain given up and accepted that i the riddler am better than you And like Terrence said, the edit into this, our uh, comment came from M.P. Ellenis. if I'm saying your name correctly, sir. I hope that I am. Uh, His comment was, this book has one of my all-time dialogues between Bruce, Tim, and Dick. So uh, thank you, M.P., for uh, your comment. And let's get back to the show. To me, it falls completely flat. And this is probably my
2: own fault because I know too much. um, And that is... I've always heard that the reason why Tim, um, hello, these people straight. The reason why Dick Grayson wasn't in Batman books and couldn't take over Batman is that Denny O'Neill and the editorial staff couldn't use Dick Grayson because he was being used over in the Teen Titans. And that's why they created Jean Paul and Azrael and all that stuff. I've always called BS on that and said that is just, that's a retcon. That was, that John Paul Batman didn't take off like they thought it would, even when, you know, when we interviewed Chuck Dixon, he said they wrapped it up quicker because it wasn't selling as well. And that was they wanted to create their own new Batman. They wanted a Batman for the 90s. They wanted to create their own thing. That's why they went to John Paul. That's why it wasn't, you know, let's break his back and bring in Dick Grayson um, either way. I still know the reason why Dick Grayson wasn't in the Bat books and wasn't Batman was because of editorial stuff at DC, whether you believe the company line or you believe my <laughs> twisted, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, conspiracy uh, theory, conspiracy tinfoil. Hat,
0: events. tinfoil hat. I have
2: in my uh, yeah in my my living room i've taken it over and i have uh all these pictures of all the dc editorial and string connecting each one to dick grayson and stuff my wife hates it but you know i'm on to something i'm through the looking glass here people but um but but anyway so all that said for this i think a lot of it falls flat for me because in my mind i'm thinking this isn't true this is because of the editorial and all this stuff so it doesn't hold as much weight and then some of the artwork kind of takes me out of i guess the emotion of the scene where i'm looking at dick grayson and i'm like why does he have giant points on his shoulder and then at one point like there's a lot of neat uh, intricate work of the cave and there's like a giant bat that looks really good and so the art's not bad and actually the facial expressions and the faces i think he does a good job of conveying um the ex- facial e- emotions in the the face um but there's one point um where all of a sudden they walk past the t-rex and there's like a batman museum next to the t-rex and the penny and i'm like when was this in you know that i don't remember seeing that museum in the bat cave and then the one thing i really do like is something that just annoys me about today and that is at one point bruce is talking about the weight of what this means on like the partners and, and the effect of it. And he walks over to the Jason Todd Memorial and they have his, his suit there and you see like Bruce's face, is his reflection in the glass and he's like looking down. It's almost a little bit reminiscent of BVS when Ben Affleck uh, gives that look to the, the Robin suit in the the glass case. And you know, you know what that means. And to me, this is why a dead Jason Todd was so meaningful in that universe because it was always there as this reminder of like what this could mean and what, what Bruce is asking of these people and what these people are giving of themselves. And, and, and knowing that, you know, Jason is like magically back alive and all as well. It, it, it takes away a lot of that um, in the, the universe. So overall it has its good moments. I'm not like, I'm not trying to say it's a total train wreck or anything like that, but it didn't quite have that emotional and, Connection for me and I wasn't quite as blown away from it for me because I think of all that other crap that's running around in my brain that tells me uh, it's uh, other and maybe if I could like drink a couple beers and like forget that and just kind of enjoy the just go with the the issue I'd probably like it and a lot more but um, for that. It rings kind of hollow, and then the end. I did, I do really like the end where you see Nightwing back in the Nightwing suit and like Dick's, and re- Dick, Tim's reaction to it, and he's like, "What's going on?" and cool, and so it does kind of have a, a decent payoff kind of at the end. Um, so it does kind of redeem itself a little bit. So I, I it's not a, in my eyes a total failure, but it is, it is uh, maybe not the same for me as maybe when I read it back in '96, what
0: I thought of it. <laughs> I do like that it sets up our first, as new look as it can be, thinking, wow, Batman looks all black in this. I wonder what his costume is going to look like. Uh, 1989, anyone? Uh, which yeah. I don't think that costume will last too much longer, and we'll find out. We'll talk about it later. That uh, he has little uh, scallop, and I would say scallops, but little fins, almost like the Jean-Paul Asriel Batman uh, suit would have down by the ankles, I think, that quickly disappear after... Um, a couple issues. So I remember looking at this last uh, page here, going, Oh, it's really cool to see Bruce back as Batman, but it, everything's all in silhouette. All you see is the belt and the bat symbol and the eyes, and wondering, you know, what his costume is going to look like. And I believe right after this, uh, Nightwing gets more of the traditional black and blue costume. This is one of the last images that we'll see of Nightwing in this yellow almost disco like the the next generation of the disco collar suit hey can i ask you guys a question maybe ryan knows or or
2: you know rob because i i just forget do we ever get an explanation or a story explaining where bruce was was it in showcase or something Hmm. or was he just like off doing his thing and now he's back because i can't remember i don't know the
0: answer to that okay i i'm thinking and we'll see if i'm right or not I'm thinking while No Man's Land is going on, where Bruce has all of these satellite bat caves, that this was something he was working on doing of trying to uh, not only have one basis of operations. I think it's in Cataclysm, once the cave is destroyed, that they have to go to one of the satellite locations. And i I almost positive Bruce makes a line of like, mm-hmm. I'm glad I was doing this stuff while – I'm glad I set these locations up while Bruce – or while Bruce – while Dick was filling in for me. I think there's a throwaway line like that. Mm. Um, okay. I, I'm I'm almost positive that's that's what he was doing was setting those up. You
2: know, and I, I got to look in the back here because maybe it says it. Um, one of the reasons why this, this issue might feel rushed is because – I'm guessing that maybe it uh, just as continued in Batman 515, yeah. and that's the reveal of the new suit. So I'm guessing that, um, that 515 came out the next week. Uh, so they had to get this done before that. Like you couldn't delay right. this issue and then be like, hey, the new suit's coming two weeks ago. And I know Marvel ran into a bunch of problems with that, with Secret Wars. Uh, oh. Like was oh, at yeah. last year or a year and a half ago where they had stuff coming out. For the, that was about the ending of Secret War, but Secret War was so delayed, the ending hadn't come out yet, and it was like all kind of a tangled mess there for a little right. while. So, so I, 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 I'm thinking that that might be um, an issue for why this kind of has a rushed feel to it because they, they, they could not delay this.
0: Well, uh, this might be a good segue, uh, Ryan. Let's get into some of the uh, letters and columns. See what people, the good folks back in '96, were thinking about this. Dear friend, I like to start my notes to you as if we're already in the middle of a conversation. I pretend that we're the oldest and dearest friends as opposed to what we actually are, people who don't know each other's names, and met in a chat room where we both claimed we'd never been before. Oh, you got a couple for us? Yes, let's
1: see. So the this is the letter column from Robin number 18, where they talk about... Uh, Robin number 13. Okay, so let's go. I've got, like, I think I've got three of these that are pretty good. So... This one's from Harry Simon from Las Vegas, Nevada. He says, Dear Gorf, Denny, and company, Chuck Dixon has done it to me again. After Robin <laughs> number 13, I'm officially hooked on Robin, but enough about me. The dueling stories were scripted and paced to perfection. Robin's suspenseful ride, courtesy of Steel Jacket, had me on the edge of my proverbial seat. It was like Speed, Passenger, 57, and the Die Hard movies all rolled into one. Wow. The Bruce Wayne <laughs> versus the, uh, The Bruce Wayne versus Dick Grayson confrontation, why do these Bruce Wayne versus substitute Batman confrontations in the Batcave always end up in the pages of Robin anyway, was unreal. That's interesting that he brought this up. We just talked about this. Uh, From the fanboys' perspective, it seemed like the showdown epitomized just about every legitimate gripe from the fans to the editors during Night Whatever. To cop a cliché, you could cut the tension with a knife. I had no idea what to expect, but I was certainly pleased and satisfied with this issue's outcome, as well as the outcome of Prodigal as a whole. Good show. Fanboy Stupid Question Time. Number one, (laughs) why did you have two different artists do issue number 13? Number two, what's the story on Dick's shoulder spikes? Number three, will Nightwing remain a fixture around the Bat Books? Number four is Nightwing's mask intended to look like the Bat icon. And number five, with more than a year under our utility belts, are we any closer to a Robin letter column title? (laughs) Uh, As for that last page of number 15, boo, hiss, do over. Like all devoted Bat fans weren't going to pick up Batman 515 anyway without the new costume teaser, but it did make for a pretty darn effective cliffhanger. (laughs) Uh, Harry Simon, Las Vegas, Nevada
2: Did they answer was, his questions? Okay. Yes, yeah, okay, yes.
1: On to your answers, number one There were two different artists on Robin 13 Because a time production schedule mandated it And the structure of the story totally supported it Number two The story on Dick's shoulder spikes is long and sorted And it makes me too sad to tell it Ask <laughs> Ask Harry Kowalski in Titans HQ If you really want to know <laughs> Whatever that means uh, number three, Nightwing will be hanging around the Batcave and will make an occasional appearance in the Batbooks for a few months before he traipses off into his own miniseries, already underway and in the capable hands of scripter Dennis O'Neill and penciler Greg Land. Hope you're as excited about it as we are. Night, number four, Nightwing's mask is indeed intended to m- invoke the Bat theme. Number five, we are no closer to a Robin letter column title as long as everyone and my uncle suggests Robin's Nest. Thank you for shopping with (laughs) us, Harry. Have a nice day. Next. And, you know, all these letter columns, they always – they went with this theme this month of uh, thank you for shopping. Have a nice day. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Uh, So that was good. They kind of addressed what I was – we were talking about earlier about the different artists, uh, which is good. So let's see. Next is uh, from Tony Seibert from Los Angeles, California. We who – the best thing about Robin number 13 was our hero's wild ride over the Gotham skyline. John Cleary's artwork was a cartoony look, much different from, the, from that of Phil Jimenez. The contrast between the two styles worked very well. While the confrontation between Grayson and Wayne was filled with heavy emotional tension, Robin's adventure with Steel Jacket was exciting and fun. Tim Drake swinging through Gotham City's valleys and canyons, his little heart in his mouth, his desperate attempts to think of something, anything to save him, brought to mind the best of Japanese animations. <laughs> Which is what uh, we said. Michigan. Wow, the best of Japanese enemies. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Uh, I want to compliment you on the cover. I don't know what it is about them, but I love the occasional split image cover. The cover of 13 displayed that there were two conflicts within the issue very well, though the two conflicts were of very different natures. This kind of split cover was particularly appropriate for this issue because of the different art styles of the parallel stories, too. My only problem with Robin is its dependence on the continuity of the other Bat titles. Stop it. I want to see Robin with his own book, not just a book with his name on it. Uh, and the response is, you were the only letter writer to pontificate on the split image cover, Tony. And for that, we are, thank you for shopping with us. Have a nice day. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh,
1: uh, let's see. What is – I think there's one more that I think looked good here. Um, let's see. Yeah, this is from Josh Hill from Hyde Park, New York. Dear Robin crew, my feelings on Robin 13 were mixed, which is a shame because it was a really great story. I'm not usually picky about art, Art, but I dislike John Cleary's work. His style does not fit with this type of book that kind of actually has a story to it and was the only true disappointment I've had with this book to date. My other gripe, however, is that I'd like to request that you try to keep this Tim Drake's book only. Man, there's another one of those. Yeah. And not let Bruce Wayne and Company have as much of the spotlight in it. I realize you had no choice in this case, and though you did split it up evenly, it's still not fair. This book is named after it's star. Let's keep him the star. Have this book be part of the crossovers only when necessary, as is in the case of Catwoman. I did like the Bruce and Dick confrontation, though. This is what I've been waiting for, somebody to tell Bruce off, and especially because it was Dick. I've sympathized with Dick since he found out that John Paul was chosen over him to carry on the mantle of of the bat. I have sympathized with him all through Prodigal. I prayed you would treat him with respect when you ripped the mantle away from him at the end of Prodigal. And I'm glad that you did, and I'm also glad that you had Bruce admit his mistakes. Finally, Bruce Wayne has become a human being, and I'm actually looking forward to his return to action next week. There
0: we okay. go. So it's kind of interesting to hear that a lot of our concerns here in 2017 and the questions that we had um, were right on the nose, you know, back then. And I think uh, Terrence wrote that last email in about clearing. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I I, I agree totally. So before we wrap this up, just – Oh, the- hey, I Go got ahead. one more
2: thing too. It's kind of – if in the back of – this would be real quick. In the back of 13, if you've got the floppy, um, the very – after the letter columns in in 13, which were about Robin number nine, they have a whole thing for the DC universe. And remember we were talking about the infranet in our, our last podcast yes. about how sometimes you would get things – written now written back then that just were not used correctly about the the new internet it's really funny because at the if you have the floppy the at the very end right before the clearer cell uh (laughs) and which they they knew me well back then um there's a whole thing about America online and about how they were I- introducing the d c universe online oh, wow, as, yeah. and they've got like a little like uh uh instant messenger chat room thing, and it's like uh you could sign up to the the internet for d c comics it says uh we're all buzzed about the leap, and it's a thrill we want to share with you if you have a computer ibm compatible or macintosh either one and a modem you can log on for just for 10 free hours and tour all that dc comics online has to offer and then they have like a little like guide to uh uh emoji cons i guess so you call them or cyber shorthands and all this stuff it's just really funny to see how the internet has changed in the last 21 years yeah
0: Although it is funny here to see down at the bottom BRB, uh, which we use while we're Skyping. Like, hey, I need to go to the bathroom. Or, hey, I need to let my dog out. <laughs> you still use yeah. some of the BRB, Be Right Back. I forgot a lot of these. Um, yeah, some
2: of them it's funny, like LOL and BRB we use all the time. Like, I forget. Like, oh, yeah, that just started like 20 years ago. And then other ones like... Uh, imho in my humble opinion i don't think that quite caught on or ioh i'm out of here i don't ever recall call some of those quite having the the staying power
0: uh rolling on the (laughs) and uh that little sound you heard was ryan haas using brb (laughs) let's be right back which i don't know if he's actually using that or he literally is saying hey i will be right back
2: Ryan actually the the first time somebody used uh uh L M what is it laughing my ass off L M A O on me? I thought they were calling me a lamo. I was like I said I sent I sent my friend Anthony something like a text in the early days and he wrote back that LMAO and I'm like, why do you think that's lame? Why am I a lame O now? And he's like, no, it stands for laughing my ass off. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you, you thought it was funny. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, let's go around the room real quick. Now that t- now that we're done here, we'll wrap the show up with our final thoughts of Prodigal, which I think we've kind of done periodically through. Uh, but uh, Terrence, your just overall thoughts of Prodigal and how does this story just kind of fit in with uh, Tim Drake and his Batman uh, overall? And like, where does it rank for you? Uh, let's go.
2: All right. So overall, as, as we said from like the I think my first day I was on this podcast with you, um, that it's one of my favorite stories. And I, I, I think even before I was a regular on the podcast, I even said like, oh, yeah, when you have, when you do prodigal, I got to be on it. Um, and I'm surprised at how much I still enjoy prodigal. And it's funny that two of my all time favorite batman story arcs are prodigal with dick grayson as batman and the the grant morrison batman and robin run mm-hmm. uh with dick grayson as robin as well which um i just both think both are just fantastic uh it's what i what i took away from it reading it 21 years later is i didn't realize how the story kind of like we've we talked earlier should be flip-flop and the two-faced stuff and the big climax is kind of in the beginning and then the ending kind of tails off a little bit and maybe a reworking of the order i i never picked up on that but but overall i would still put it in my top 10 of a batman stories probably somewhere around like the six or seven range nice. um kind of like in the the middle-ish there but um yeah it's it's i think it's really great and after especially after reading nightfall and night quest either in real time or um, even now as we reread the nightfall and night quest it was just really fun to have batman and robin again fighting crime not you know um the heaviness and the weight of that 14 part or whatever six, 16 part you know series and all the, the heaviness of jean paul just a, it's a little bit more of a, a lighthearted fun not not too campy, 66 light-hearted fun, but just a little more of that light of the just good old-fashioned Batman and Robin, like you kind of like the Batman and Robin you played with with toys as a kid. You know, like you yeah. weren't doing you weren't you you weren't you didn't have your your Batman and Robin. Uh, you know um, toys doing the, the bat Watusi or whatever and doing the bat dance and stuff but you also didn't we're like oh batman just broke his back he's out of commission for a year and a half let's <laughs> let's put razor blades on this other bat figure and, and he'll be the new batman you know so it just it was just fun like that for me so so i that's probably way more than you needed but that's how prodigal ranks for me
1: cool ryan yeah this is this is the case of uh you know the whole not being greater than the sum of its parts, but, but I, you know, overall, I, I still enjoyed it. I like the concept of Dick Grayson taking over as Batman and, and seeing how Tim Drake in particular reacts to that being, being Robin, because since his first introduction as Robin, he's had a very like different time than, than Dick Grayson had, or than, uh Jason Todd had, you know, he's been thrown into this role and he's, you know, had a, to deal with a lot of different situations, both, working with Batman with Bruce Wayne, Batman being alone, working with, uh, and, and not working with, uh, Jean Paul Valley and then being on his own and then working with, uh, with, uh, Dick Grayson as Batman. Um, so he's been through the ringer a lot. So that's kind of made him a very weathered character, you know, which fits into one of the reasons why I think he's, he's the best Robin there is. Um, so, but overall, yeah, I liked the, 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 the setup of, uh, of this story. I like how it transpired. I do agree that I think the two face stuff was the strongest part and probably could have been, uh, you know, the ending of this. instead of the beginning or, you know, in the middle. Um, and I do, and I do like how it wraps up and how it addresses, uh, uh, you know, Dick Grayson and, and Bruce Wayne and, uh, how nightfall went down and how it leads into the future stories.
0: Yeah. I think I'm right there uh, with both of you guys. And the thing uh, you talked about him being weathered. He's a very seasoned Robin with everything that he's had to go through up to this point, but is still a novice on the other end of it. I mean, not only just his bat family turmoil, but his own personal family turmoil that he has yeah. gone through between the death of a mother, the paralysis of his father, and then his dad being taken and missing and being back thrust in his life. And the sense of normalcy won't hit Robin until right now, the next issue. Like, Tim Drake's going to have to relearn, and Bruce are going to have to figure out how they're going to operate as Batman and Robin. And the last things that Bruce says in the issue is, this is just the first of many changes to come. So I remember reading it and going, wow, how is this going to change everything uh, not only for our characters, but just for DC and just the, the Bat universe as a whole. So, uh, we're getting really close with going through, uh, the parts that we're going to cover in Troika, really just focusing on kind of the, the Robin aspect of it. But once we get beyond that, that's where I'm really excited for this podcast is books that no other podcast has really yeah. ever covered. To where I'm wanting to pull in some people like the Donovan Morgan Grant and maybe get Tom Paneris back on. He said, hey, once you get to this part of the podcast, he said, I would love to tackle some of these things with you guys that nobody is covering. So that that's the big thing for me to kind of really see where Chuck Dixon digs in with the writing where he can really start writing Robin without being necessarily tied to all the other uh bat books until like the event books happen so this this does hold a special place in my heart um i think it's probably middle of the pack for me in my my top 10 bat stories so i think it's where we're going to put a pin in it uh hopefully uh You guys uh, enjoyed this episode, and we might be taking a short little hiatus. This is probably the first Terrence and Ryan are hearing this. Just going through the holidays, there will probably only be one episode probably in January just to get everybody out of the holiday season. It'll probably be towards the latter part of the month. Uh, where We'll work all that out. I don't know if we'll get right back into trying to do two right off the bat here, so... Um, no pun intended. So on the behalf of Ryan and Terrence, this is Rob. You've been listening to the BatmanUniverse.net. And more importantly, you've been listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. We'll see you guys in 2018. Can you believe it? 2018. We'll see you guys. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim, Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under the copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, so no infringement is intended by this show. The show is not a good revenue stream. Actually, there's not a stream at all. All music and sound clips are under copyright by their respected copyright holders. So there should be no need to send the Penguins lawyers after us for ill-gotten gains because there are none. You can get a hold of the show a few different ways. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can also email in at Robin, ELTD podcast at Yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash Drake. And as always, you can message directly over at the BatmanUniverse.net. So email, tweet, or message us. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll read your comments or responses on the show. The show you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes and Windows Media, also over at our host, TVU. Leave us a review on iTunes if you listen there. It'll help spread the word of the show. Make sure you head over to thebatmanuniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.